chapter 4, and I got something for you. Ephesians chapter 4, all right, Ephesians 4. So we have been in a series, as you can see uh, from the title slide, a series called All Taught by God. It's a promise Jesus made, fulfilling Isaiah 54, a promise made in Isaiah 54. It's a promise Jesus made about all those who are believers, those who, who have trusted in Jesus. He promised that he would give us his spirit, and as children of God, he would lead us by his spirit. Amen? And that we, as the children of God, born again with his spirit, can be taught by God. There's a prophecy that's fulfilled in Jeremiah 31 we've looked at that says that they'll all know the Lord, referring to those who have had their sins forgiven. Anybody here had their sins forgiven? Amen. You can know the Lord and be taught by God. You were created to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And Jesus has made sure that he didn't just die for your sins, but that he gave you his Holy Spirit so that he could teach you, lead you, guide you in your life. Now, if you don't know the Lord and your sins aren't forgiven, it's, it's very simple. You trust in Jesus in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your leader or specifically Lord. And he comes and lives in your heart. You make a little... Uh... He'll take anything. No, <laughs> just joking. You just cry out to the Lord. He'll come. He's like, oh, you want me to come and live in your heart? Here, I'm coming. He'll take it. He'll take the invitation, and then he'll lead you. And so we've been learning about this promise, all taught by God. We've been learning about this promise, and we've been learning that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, and therefore, number one, how to be taught by God is to be in the Bible, because here we have the Word of God, the Scriptures written through people, but by the Holy Spirit. He's the original author, and we have... That, that all these truths and principles, the revelation of who God is, who you are, what you have in Christ, in the kingdom of God, all of it's in the Bible. And so number one is if you'll seek the Lord and you'll go after the word of God, he'll teach you. He'll give you revelation. Jesus promised that the spirit will guide you into all truth. And so we've seen that, man, number one, you don't really need to ask the Lord uh, well, that doesn't make sense. You need to ask the Lord a lot of things, but the answers are right there in the word of God. A lot of times you don't need to guess, go off and read a bunch of other books or just wait there meditating or something like that. Meditating on the word is good, but you, you need to go after the word. And the Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. If someone were to ask me, you know, Dave, how do I just get started with this whole thing about hearing God and You know, because I'm not really sure. How do you really know, you know? Number one, the really, the whole point of this whole series, hearing God 101, if you seek him, you will find him. People who tell me, oh, I don't hear God or something. A lot of times, if you're really honest with me, you're not making a lifestyle of meditating the word day and night, going after God with a great desperation and a hunger. But... I've tried to unpack that there's some other things. There's misconceptions that we have and such about how now that we have the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just, uh, we don't just have the Bible. We actually have the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can actually speak to us. We see that all throughout the Bible and that he can now give us revelation. He can speak to us. He personalized the Bible to us. He'll give us application. And so things that you wouldn't necessarily, they're principles in the Bible, but how do you apply it to your life? Or directional issues, like what what, what decision do I make? He has promised in the word of God to give you direction, right? Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he shall direct your paths. So the very thing that most of us need, how do I make the right decision? The principles are in the word of God, but you need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now last week, especially if you didn't catch that message, I think it would be really helpful for you. I talked about how the Holy Spirit does not always speak with words or through prophecies or dreams, although he uses those things, but that fundamentally what we need from the Holy Spirit is to learn how to be sensitive to the presence of the Lord because the Holy Spirit often when he speaks to us will witness to our spirit. And I showed you that from the word and I gave you some examples that the Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit often without words. And one of the most important issues, and I'll be honest, this is hearing God 401. This is like the lesson that you've got to have to develop for the rest of your life. That as you cultivate an intimate relationship with God, as you're in the word, 
as, as you're allowing the Lord to take from the word and build foundation in your heart with the word of God, renewing your mind, shaping your character, as you cultivate the presence of God through worship in your life, you'll begin to learn how to be sensitive to the promptings of the spirit and you'll be able to discern, we talked about that, that when you're in the spirit, when you're walking in the spirit rather than your flesh, you can discern the leading of the spirit. You can discern what is God and what is not. And people ask me many times, can you explain that to me? Can you help me more? Well, number one, I think, don't think that it, this, that lesson will ever end. You're constantly having to identify in your own life areas of flesh and throw off the old man and crucify those things. See, some of it's really not that complicated. If it's fear, it's not God. You can't hear God in your flesh. He doesn't speak that way. He speaks spirit to spirit. And so only when we walk in the spirit can we really discern the voice of the Lord. So cultivating an intimate relation with God is vital, vital. You know, think about it. If I, if I were to call you up on the phone or, um, you know, do, do a different, different person, let's say that someone who you're really, really close to, I mean, maybe it's me, maybe it's someone else, uh, a spouse, a family member, you're really close to them, they call you up and their voice is hoarse. You don't know who it is. You know, they're, they, they've been, uh, they got a sore throat or something like that, right? And they didn't say their name. You don't know who it is. But couldn't you figure it out? When you talk to somebody that you really know, can't you figure it out by, their, by, by even just the manner of the conversation? Maybe what they call you, right? Hey, babe, how you doing? How's your day going? Like, you don't talk like, you know? Oh, hey, Larry, what's up? Who's it? You don't know. No, I mean, I'm just joking around. Like, you know, you know someone's personality. You know their, the way that they talk. You know, right? I mean, my kids have asked me, or John David, I remember when he was really little, I mean, how, I can't see God. You know, that's like an easy one. Well, if you were blind, you still know someone's there, and you can still hear them, and you can still be in a relationship, Right? Faith is not about sight, nor is hearing God about God's accent. Like, what does God sound like? It's not about what he sounds like, it's who he is. And it's how his spirit witnesses to your spirit. And so if you've cultivated an intimate relationship and you are in tune with the presence of God, you know when it's God who showed up, and you know when you're just being selfish or you're in anxiety or worry or fear. Now, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like character growth, doesn't it? See, hearing God and being able to discern the voice of the Lord or discern the prompting of spirit, it's character. It's not like yesterday you couldn't hear God and then today you could. Now, sometimes that you'll get a breakthrough like that. But. So yeah, I would say any of you are like at 101, you're saying, how do I hear God? Seek him. You will find him. He'll speak to you. And any of you are, I think many of you in this church like me, where you're seeking the Lord and you're hearing him and you're getting insight and revelation and even you've been directed by God at times. And yet other times you're not sure. I want to remind you, it's not that complicated. You know what the presence of God feels like. Feels like, you know, sense it. You can sense the presence of God. You know when you're in the flesh. A mark of maturity is when you know and can discern between your flesh and the spirit. So keep cultivating that, okay? Today, I want to give you some more insight into that, some principles, and if you will, a vision that I have, I mean, like a picture of a desire I have for the church. I want to talk to you about the fact that not only do you need the word of God, you need to seek God and cultivate intimate relations with God, but we need community. We need the community. Let's unpack this here, all right? So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about his vision of the body of Christ, his desire for a healthy, mature community of believers, the body of Christ. And he starts off in verse 1 through 5, which I won't read, about talking how to walk in love and walk in unity. He's basically saying, look, we're one. He's already established this in the letter. We're one, and so live like it. <laughs> Get along. Walk in love, walk in unity, keep unity, keep, keep the bond of peace and the unity of the spirit because we have one Lord and one faith, we're one body, all that. And so he's establishing this idea, uh, this is central to us walking in community. Then he shifts 
into how some of that functions in the body, right? And he says in verse 7, we'll read a bunch of verses here. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Let's stop there for a second. Notice he starts off in verse 7, to each one, to each one. Very important phrase right there, because you know what he's talking about. To each one. So he's visualizing us as this body with many members, and he's going to get into that metaphor more. And he says, each one of us, each one of you, to each one, he says, grace has been given. A, A gift has been given to you. Each one of you has a grace from God. Each one of you. That's what he's saying. Now, he bases this, by the way, on the fact that Jesus has ascended. So when Jesus died, he rose again, and he ascended, it says that he gave gifts. This is very important, the fact that Jesus died for your sins. He was raised to new life so that you could be resurrected and have new life, eternal life. And he ascended on high, sin at the Father's right hand, so that he could give to you the Holy Spirit and to each one of us grace. Jesus is still the leader of his church. He's still alive. He's still the pastor. He's the head of the body, for real. And he really does, to each one, give a grace to each one in the body. So that's what he's talking about. And he gets down, uh, and he explains all that. And in verse 11, he talks about some of those graces. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning and craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let me break that down. Paul, like I said, is, having the, is, 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 is expressing, he's preaching this picture of a healthy Church, a vibrant, healthy church. And he says, you'll see it there, his conclusion in verse 16, and we'll work backwards. Verse 16, he says that everybody in the body is connected to this head, Jesus. So everybody's connected to Jesus, the head. And then he says that each, it says from whom, the head, from whom the whole body, the church, joined and knit together, So now he's talking about the body parts, the various members, the muscles and the bones and the, you know, the leg bones connected to the hip bone and the, you know, whatever, right? He's he's talking about how everything is connected to each other and how, listen, he says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Now, remember in verse 7, he said, each one has been given grace. Well, actually, it's interesting because in the Greek, the every part actually is the same one. Each part, it's the same Greek word. Each part does its, and when he says share, it's the Greek word for work. So he says, look, every one of you, each one of you has been given grace. And he has this picture of a church that's everybody's connected to the head, but not just connected to the head. Who else are they connected to? To each other. And as they're connected to one another, they build each other up by loving one another. And how do they love one another? By each part, each member, each person doing their share. You guys know that in a physical body, if one part of your body begins to shut down, other parts of your body overcompensate. And of course, you know, praise God that he made our bodies to be able to survive and endure this broken and fallen world and such, but that's not health, right? And, it beca- and you can't do that forever. 
starts to really wear on you, for example, right? My, one organ's not working so well, the other organs start picking stuff up, and it starts to really drain you over time. Je- Jesus' body is meant to be healthy. And what Paul's imagining here, what Paul's envisioning and proclaiming is a church where every part does their share. And notice what happens. The result is the edifying of itself in love. The edifying of itself in love. All connected to the head, Jesus the source. But what happens is the body grows and is healthy and increases. The church multiplies When everybody does their part, every time a person in the church moves from spectator to participant, every time a person in the church moves from just receiving to giving, they start doing their part, not their 50%, but their 100%. They give their whole love, they give all their gifts, and they invest into the church community. The church grows. Numerically, spiritually, what happens... When you give your gift or grace away, others are edified and ultimately the whole body is built up. can grow and increase and multiply and make babies and all that. But what happens when we don't do our part? The body has to overcompensate, right? 20% doing 80% of the work and all this that is not healthy. Paul's talking about a church where each person knows that they have a grace. And what's that grace for? Did you see? It's not for you. It's for others. Now, obviously, if you're using your grace to give it to somebody else, it's going to bless you too because you're part of the body, yeah? See, you're not, as a Christian, you're not just a believer in Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every believer is a disciple. But you're not just a disciple. You're a minister right? Every follower of Jesus is learning to be and to do just like the master. You're becoming just like Jesus. Jesus said in John 21, as the father has sent me, so I send you. He has given you an assignment. Now, all of us are called to the work of the Lord, to go and make disciples, Matthew 28, right? That's, that's simple. Every one of us are called to partner with Jesus, to do the work of the Lord with him. But each of us have a a particular grace in that, okay? Now, notice what he does here is he unpacks unpacks this whole thing. We'll go back to verse 11, talking about the various gifts here. He says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So he says that there have been some people, some people, these fivefold, it's often what we call the fivefold ministry. If you ever hear that, the fivefold ministry, that's it right there. Ephesians chapter 4. Fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They're not the only gifts in the body of Christ. But notice what they're doing. This fivefold, it says, that they have been given to the church. They are grace to the church. And these various gifts, these people in the body of Christ, they're not outside of the body, are they? They're members of the body, but they have a grace. And what's their grace? Their grace, it says, is to equip the saints. Who's that? All of us. All of the members in the body. It says that they're to equip the saints for the work of, of ministry. Whose ministry? Yours. That's the part when it says in verse 17 that each part would do its work. What's it referring to? That verse right there. That you would do the work that he's called you to do, which would lead to what? The edifying of the church in love. How is it that the church is edified? It says right there, these equippers equip, the saints do the work of ministry, and the result is For the edifying, or in the Greek, it's unto, like as in like he's doing this in stages, right? He's using the idea, the equipping, so the saints will do the work of ministry, leading unto the edifying of the church. It's a progressive thing that Paul sees. This is his strategy. And he says here, 
till, verse 13, this is important, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. When it says a perfect man, he's talking about Jesus. Till we all grow up and be like Jesus. But notice it's in the singular, not in the plural. He's talking about us all becoming like Jesus in unity. Notice he says that? In unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He's talking about this, that when the equippers equip and the saints do their part, the body is edified and grows. And do you notice there's this progressive thing as if people are graduating into something. They're graduating into what? That every single person believes God, walks in faith instead of unbelief. And steps into the knowledge of God, unity of faith and the knowledge of Son of God. This is what Paul is longing for, that every believer would know the Lord intimately and personally. And that's his goal, leading us to that. And then he says that when we come to that place where each person has that faith and that intimate knowledge of God, in unity, in unity, he calls that a perfect man. The perfect man. You're not saying that just you becoming mature. No, it's not just you believing God and knowing God. It's the unity of every believer in the body connected to Jesus, knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, that releases a kind of maturity in the body that we literally function in community like a body would under the headship of Jesus. And this is what he says. Then he says, oh, you can just hear his passion. Oh, then we won't be like children. What is he saying? No, he won't be tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine. Just tossed around by pop culture and feelings and opinions and the flesh. Won't be knocked around with different types of doctrines and wrong ways of thinking and wrong ways of thinking about God. No, there will be a, a rootedness in us. We'll know God's love. We'll show it to other people. You notice that he says we're going to edify each other in love. So we're going to walk in faith, walk in love. You see what he's talking about here? What, what did we talk about last week? Learning to discern the leading of the Spirit. To know, to know him, to know what the Lord is saying. And not to be tossed around by your flesh, tossed around by emotions that, that are, are, are based in culture or based in your own self, but knowing the truth of God, walking in the Spirit. Paul imagines this not as individualistic, but as a community, you can see. This word equipping in verse 12, he says that these, these, these people are to equip. It's the same word that's used for mending nets. Same exact word in the, in the Gospels. These five-fold ministers, these equippers, they're to come in to the church and bring healing, mending, deliverance, help people to think the right way, to think like the, the people of the kingdom. You've been adopted, you've come into a kingdom, but you don't know how to walk in that kingdom. You've been born again, but you don't know how to walk in that spirit. You've been completely delivered, but how do you walk in that deliverance, that healing, that wholeness? And these people, they come in and they bring healing and wholeness. They shore up the things that are broken. They mend the parts that are, uh, have holes. And what do you do with a net? You throw it right back, don't you? It's mending for a purpose. It's the equipping and the training, the preparation, in order to do what? For the work of ministry. It's interesting because the same concept, and we've looked at this a bunch already, in 2 Timothy 3, where Paul talks about the word of God. And we've looked at this, and it sa he says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, listen, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How is it primarily that these uh, equippers equip? What's the tool they use to bring that healing and that deliverance, that renewing of the mind? It's the word of God, isn't it? Not just the preaching or the teaching of the word of God, the modeling of it as well. But primarily that's what's going on. 
Are these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, are they, are they supposed to do the ministry? No, you're supposed to do the ministry. But they're to equip you. So are they the only ones who can hear God? Or are they supposed to empower you and help you to hear God? You're catching it, right? So apostles, apostles, there's, I'll give you just one aspect of apostles. There's, there's a lot. We like to sit around and debate about what an apostle is. And probably because it's, it's very dynamic. But an apostle is somebody that releases the movement that God desires. They're people that see, if you will, a blueprint from heaven. They catch the vision. I was thinking about it. They're kind of like a Hannibal from the 18. Remember that guy? Man, come on, guys. It's on Netflix. Jeez. Come on. Uh, no, no. Remember that? The Hannibal, he had the big cigar. And uh, he would say, he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. You know, that kind of guy. What I mean is he's the brains of the operation. He's the guy who, who put everything together. He took a ragtag group of people who had different skills and he made it work. The general of the army, if you will, right? Apostles are like that in the spirit realm, whether men or women. They are apostles in the sense that they see this vision and they bring it down. They help people to see what God wants to do. And what apostles do is you'll see they'll, they'll, they're often releasing a movement, a movement. You know, a lot of times when you see not just pastors of pastors, but you often, often you'll see that they plant many churches, that they're pastors of pastors, that they're leaders of movements, that they have an influence in the body of Christ that extends even interdenominationally. There's just an anointing. Uh, there's something of a spiritual father or mother that just impacts in a great way. But they often are behind culture being changed, whole cities being transformed. They're behind often what we might call revival. They're these catalysts. They're the one that bring things together. And so what happens with these apostles is who are they equipping? They equip, oftentimes they're releasing all the others. Oftentimes what you'll see with apostles is they don't just release other apostles, they release all the other gifts. You'll often see with apostles, there'll be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers all being released in the fullness of their gifting. Oftentimes, I've heard the, 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 the fivefold thought of as a hand and the thumb is the apostle. They, they unify and they release the potential of everyone else. All right, I know there's a lot more, but I gotta go through this quickly. The evangelists are church planters. They're the ones that go out there and preach the gospel that form communities. They tell people... Right, do you know actually pl- planting, the, planting churches is probably a, a misnomer. It's really planting the gospel and people become disciples and form around communities. Anyways, that's for another class. Evangelists plant churches and they cultivate a culture of evangelism. Are they only ones who are supposed to do evangelism? No. They release the grace upon every believer to make disciples. They create a culture of evangelism where everybody longs for people to come to Jesus. The people begin to be concerned for the spiritual, uh, uh, the eternal security of every person. See, a lot of times in the church, we'll think about ourselves. We'll think about our nice cushy chairs that aren't very cushy, right? We'll think about our building and the air conditioning. We'll think about the sermon and how good he did. Stop it. Uh, No, I'm just messing around. And, but who thinks about those who aren't here? The evangelist gets us to think about that and move towards the people of the community and be a blessing to the community. And see what happens is, do you see what I'm saying? The apostles release the potential of the church to move in the fullness of the kingdom. The evangelists release the call of God on every believer to make disciples. And oftentimes because they're planting churches, they're pulling people into that work. Paul really started off as an evangelist going around planting churches and drawing people into his ministry and it turned into an apostolic move where he then started shepherding or uh, uh, covering other churches and it became a movement, writing letters, all that stuff. But Paul, by the way, he actually calls himself an evangelist. He calls himself a teacher, an evangelist, and an apostle. He calls himself three of those things, by the way. Okay. Prophets, prophets prophesy, but are they the only ones who are supposed to prophesy? No. If you're following my train of thinking here, 
and I'll, I can prove it to you. But prophets are not just supposed to prophesy. They're not the only ones who are supposed to hear God and get messages from God. Prophecy means getting a message from God that is a timely word for somebody else or for the church. They're not just supposed to hear God for the church. Prophets release the manifestation of the Spirit in others. They release the church's ability to hear God and to move in the gifts of the Spirit. This prophets see things in the spirit realm and help us to see those things in the spirit realm. Where, you know, sometimes the administrators or different people, they can see things in the natural, right? Okay, well, we've got to manage the money this way or that way. Though that's not unspiritual, that's just their grace. But there is an unseen realm. And prophets help us to see what God's doing, maybe even what the devil's doing, how we're supposed to counter that, how we're supposed to pray, Prophets come in and speak into that, but listen, they release the spiritual gifts. They release the gifts of the body of Christ. And so what happens is they create what we call prophetic culture. Just like the evangelist releases an evangelistic culture, an apostle releases an apostolic culture where the church is multiplying and growing and increasing, the prophet releases a prophetic culture where the gifts of the Spirit are evident, active, happening, a pastor, well, they just pastor, right? That just that wouldn't make any sense for other people to pastor, right? No. Do pastors, are they the only one who's supposed to pastor? No. A pastoral gifting, often you see it, not just in what we think of as senior pastor, but a pastoral gifting is actually one who really, really cares and is more like a shepherd. One who is, often they teach, you know, they often have to have a, a teaching as well. So sometimes people put pastor and teacher together. But pastors are really cared about the, emo, they care about the emotional and relational as well as the spiritual life of believers. They're the ones who usually are like the marriage uh, and parenting classes. They're the therapists. A lot of times people who have a passion for counseling are often have a pastoral gifting. I love to tell counselors they have a pastoral gifting because they usually are like, no, that's why I'm a counselor. See, but they're thinking position. They're thinking Western mindsets. They're not thinking anointing like what this is. A pastor cares for people, journeys with them, right? They're very patient and tender and, you know, they usually care about uh, uh, what's going on in people's emotional life and, and all that kind of stuff. And, but do, do, do there, are, is that, that's the only people who are supposed to care? No. What do pastors do? They release a culture of pastoring. Pastors release into all of us a culture of hospitality, care, loving one another, praying for another. See, they're often the ones who are cultivating healthy relationships in all of us. For example, they're doing the marriage classes or the parenting classes. Why? Because moms and dads, you're discipling your kids. Did you know, husband and wife, that you are first brothers and sisters? That your marriage is actually a part of the church? Did you know that if your marriage is not in unity, then the church is not in unity? Ever think about that? See, pastors think about that. And they're helping us to walk in unity. They're helping us to love one another. They're usually cultivating small groups and community life. And they're teaching us how to help one another. So they're the ones who would cultivate like a culture where everybody's caring for one another. Maybe peer counseling. That kind of thing. Whether it's formal or informal. You get the idea. What I mean is they help you to become a shepherd in the world that you're in. Just like an evangelist is helping you to make disciples of those who don't know Jesus, a pastor is actually releasing you into your God-given ability to mother, to father, spiritually or physically, to mentor, to care, maybe to have a group in your home. Pastors release that potential and create an atmosphere in the church where we're interconnected and loving one another. Teachers, they just teach the Bible, right? Or could it be something more? Teachers, they teach the word, but that's not all that they're supposed to do. Teachers are to teach you to be taught by the Lord. Teachers are to teach the word and preach the word in such a way that you begin to hear God. 
Do you get a hunger for the word of God? Do you begin to see, oh, now I get it. That you go after the word in your own life. Teachers create a culture where everybody can teach one another because each person's knowing the Lord and receiving revelation. Not necessarily that you're going to be uh, like earlier, not that you're now the pastor or you're the teacher or you're the evangelist, but you begin to move in that grace and you begin to give away to other people. For example, like in a life group where you could actually lead in a devotion or you could sit with a friend of yours and share something the Lord is giving you. Where did you get that from? That was the grace from the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. See, Paul is imagining you moving in your gift, released by these apostles, you discipling others, you caring for others, you giving away the word of God to others because you have been equipped, you've been healed by these equippers. This has nothing to do with pay. It's not about staff and not staff or volunteer. We're all volunteers serving the Lord. It's not about clergy and laity. This is about anointing. There are, these are the elders of the church, the leaders of a church that equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now notice what happens, and this is the key. As you're receiving the equipping of these equippers, you begin to move into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You begin to move from a spiritual infant into a spiritual adult. You begin to move into a place of maturity and wholeness which is marked by not just receiving, but by giving away. And the church begins to grow and move in love. Yes, you were created to have a personal and intimate relation with God. You can be taught by God. But listen, the Bible never communicates this as an individualistic, you isolated from community, I don't need people kind of thing. That is a disease that has infected the Western church. The Bible and what Jesus has always taught and the vision Paul has is you intimately connected to Jesus, being led by the Spirit, always connected in community. You can graduate into knowing the Lord and being taught by the Lord. But listen, you'll never graduate from needing community. You'll never graduate from needing equipping. And you'll never graduate from the need to be in community because you can't even obey the commands of God outside of community. How can you love one another if you don't gather as the church? And there are many others. So what's the Lord saying here? The Lord is calling us to live in community. How will you learn to be taught by God? By receiving the equipping that come from these ministries. Now, if you don't think like that, you might think a a different way, right? You might think like a consumer, or you might think like Dave's supposed to do everything, or Tom will prophesy and Dave will teach. But do you realize that if you understood what the Lord was doing, that when we gather here, and as we live this out in community, like in our life groups and just as friends and such, and family, like I mentioned earlier with husbands and wives and with our kids, you would understand that the worship leader is teaching you to worship God as a lifestyle, that the preacher is giving you something for you to then go after God with, meditate the word and study the word and discuss it in your life groups. Make sense? That the evangelist is actually motivating you and modeling for you and helping you to figure out how am I going to reach the people in my sphere of influence. You catching this? That the prophet is actually there to provoke you so that you would move in the gifts of the Spirit and give them away. That you're not to be a spectator but a participant. Now that's exciting, isn't it? See, the question is then, are you receiving the grace that comes from the equippers? Listen to Hebrews 13. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for you. Yes, that's in the Bible. 
And it's talking about those who watch out for your soul. It's talking about elders, pastors. It's actually talking about the equippers. It's talking about what my role in your life is. Not just me, right? Because I, I pastor in a collection of leaders. But now, think about this for a second. See, submission, it's not a dirty word. Obedience is the, is the action. Submission is the attitude. Submission really is rooted in trust. Trust is the foundation of all relationship. And as you trust somebody, you receive what they have to give you. See, if my role in your life is to come with the word of God and with my own life and then give to you the word of God so that you would be taught by God, if I would come to you with the word of God and you notice that 2 Timothy said that the word of God is proper for correction, for doctrine, instruction, righteousness. See, what's going on here? Submission is really very simple. It's you receiving the grace that I give you. Sometimes that grace comes in the form of doctrine and helping you to see correctly or instruction in righteousness, how to live rightly. Sometimes it comes in the form of correction, what not to do. But the question is, are you receiving that grace? This is not, this is not in any way uh, like a, a verse that supports some sort of totalitarian dictatorship or some sort of oppressive kinds of leadership, right? No, but if the equippers are really only there to equip you, to cause you to come into your fullness, come into your purpose, and to release the potential of the body, but then as a general, if you will, in the army, right, the equippers saying, hey, let's all go here. Are you coming into submission to that community to open your ears to hear and your eyes to see and your heart to understand? Are you receiving the grace So are you receiving from the evangelists? Or are you saying, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my responsibility. Are you receiving from the teacher? I can hear God. Oh man, I'm going to go after the word, man. There's something there that Pastor David had in the preaching of the word. Are you going after the gifts of the spirit? Are you going after becoming a multiplying Christian? Are you going after becoming a healthy, whole Christian? Are you receiving the grace that comes from pastors, from teachers, from apostles, from prophets, evangelists? Do you see what I'm saying? The question on my end would be, am I equipping? Because I will give an account, right? I'm just as much a part of the body of Christ in need of Jesus and in need of the grace of God that comes from your life. I have a responsibility, though, and will give an account for how I have poured my life into you. But think about it this way. If on my end, I open the valve 100%, but you only open the valve 50%, how much are you going to receive? You're not going to receive my 100%, right? See, I can open my heart up. I can open myself up from the Lord to give you 100%, but if you don't receive 100%, you shut down the work of the Lord. That's what this verse is talking about. Receive what God has from the body of Christ. Listen to this. Some other verses from Hebrews. Hebrews 3. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through sin's deceitfulness. Or Hebrews 10, verse 24. <clears throat> let, us not consi- or, I'm sorry, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's, what's this Hebrew author calling the church to? To live in community? To encourage one another? You have a grace to give to other people. So the question is, are you receiving the grace that comes from the equippers? And are you receiving the grace that comes from other brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, are you gathering with believers? See, this is why we do life groups. This is why we do OSL, our discipleship program, so that we would equip you and empower you. Not so... We tell you what to do, but so that we lead you into a relationship with Jesus where you can be led by the Spirit. And, 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 and this is why we live in community, so we can exhort one another daily so our hearts don't become hard. Hard with discouragement, believing lies from the enemy and accusations or such from the enemy. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's so easy, isn't it? To become bitter, unforgiving. If we're in community, we can hold each other accountable. 
And so this Hebrew author says, exhort one another daily and don't forsake that gathering because you need one another. Have you, you ever heard of, uh, you ever take a, you know, take a, uh, a barbecue and you put all the charcoal together, right? Real close together. And you pour the, pour the lighter fluid on it and you light it on fire and they burn, burns up and then the coals get hot turn gray, they glow with red heat, right? And, and, and it creates this heat that you can barbecue with. Have you ever take one coal and just set it off to the side? You know how quickly it loses its heating ability? I wouldn't go and touch it with my hands, but you know, like, you take it out of the fire, it's going to stop glowing red, and it's going to lose its effectiveness. If you're not living in community, then you're not able to receive the fire from the others, and you're also not able to contribute the fire to the whole, right? So if you're not in community, you miss out. So does everyone else. Such a deception. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't need to be at church. Well, I I wholly agree that there's not one form of church. Like, you don't have to meet on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in a school. I mean, those other churches are good too. I want you to know, right? Just messing around. It's not the form. It's not the location. It's not the time. But you can't be a Christian outside of community. You can't do this thing on your own. And so you can graduate into hearing the Lord and being led by the Lord, but you'll never graduate from needing community. You hear me? And you can see this in the book of Acts. That this is one of those things we need as we learn to be led by the Spirit. We need correction. We need to hear the word preached. We need, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. We need, we need accountability. We need brothers and sisters in Christ we can journey with and talk with them about the things that we're hearing. Some of the things I showed you last week, and I told you if you didn't get that, listen to it again, but many of the things, if you look at the book of Acts and the things I showed you from Paul's life, if you really reflect on what I talked about last week, it happened all in community. When he got the vision, what does it say? We concluded. We concluded that we should go to Macedonia. Who? We. Not just Paul. He's not some lone ranger. We should. We concluded. We concluded. What does that mean? Well, they had to talk about it. You hear me? They had to talk about it. And even Paul, when he was going through the cities, and he'd already knew, he knew in his spirit, I need to go to Jerusalem. Now, he knew that from the Lord. And he was not going to allow other people to tell him, no, you shouldn't do that. Because he already knew he should go. But what did they tell him? They prophesied in part. And they said, you're going to go into prison. And then, because they really love him, and they were thinking in terms of self-preservation, they said, don't go to Jerusalem. He said, guys, I already know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. Why do you keep telling me? He said that after a long time. He said, man, every city I go to, somebody tells me I'm going to, into prison. What, what, what did Paul do? He, still, he walked in community. He didn't know everything either. He did not know everything, but he knew that he had to go to Jerusalem, and then these other prophetic words helped him to know, Holy Spirit's warning me, this thing's going to be tough. Well, why do you need to know that? See, sometimes the Lord needs to speak to you from another person. Sometimes he needs to speak to you in a dream. Sometimes he needs to speak to you, just you. Ultimately, as we learn to walk in the Spirit, we can discern these things in the Spirit and know what's the Lord. Because even a prophetic word, somebody could be wrong. And you need to test that word against the Word of God, and you need to discern in your spirit whether that confirms the Word. But we live in community. I've seen people before where they're like, I just need Jesus, I don't need people. But see, you're not just connected to the head you're connected to everyone else. And you'll, you'll have that. You'll have some churches where it's like they almost like, well, I heard God. Well, I heard God. And it's like they're arguing about whether they heard God. See, we don't do that around here. At least we try not to. Here's what we try to do. This is our value, though we may not live it out all the time. In our leadership, I do take responsibility to hear from the Lord for our church. But if I get a sense from the Lord, I bring it to the leadership. Sometimes it's, hey guys, I heard this from the Lord, now how are we going to live this out? But other times it comes from other people. So 
Somebody else says, hey, I hear the Lord saying this. Oh, I sense this. I sense that. And what we do is, do we just pray? Or do we just brainstorm and plan as if we have no God? Or do we pray as if we have no relationship with one another? It's both. We come into the Holy Spirit boardroom. Not just the physical boardroom, the spirit boardroom, right? Where the king of kings is. And we say, Lord, we welcome you. We acknowledge you in all our ways. We ask that you'd lead us and guide us. We might pray in the spirit. We might go talk about the word. I might share something the Lord has told me. I might give vision. We might dialogue about something for a really long time. And see, so what we try to do, even in our leadership as the equippers, we try to be led by the spirit in community. Same thing with my husband and wife. Well, I'm the head of the... I'm the head of, of my family, right? So, like, uh, I hear God, I tell Michelle what to think. Is that how it works? I hope you guys know that's not how it works, right? I might be the head, but she's the body. And you can't have a head without the body or a body without the head, right? We're a team, co-heirs of the eternal grace of God. She is the spirit of God, I have the spirit of God. Now, I'm ultimately responsible, by the way, to lead us into the values of the word of God. I'm ultimately responsible for my family to say, hey, let's acknowledge the Lord in all our ways. But listen, if I thought that I'm the only one who could hear God, boy, I'd be wrong, huh? No, first of all, sometimes the Lord might speak to her and I need to trust her. Other times the Lord might speak to me and she needs to trust me. You remember one time Abraham, his wife said, sleep with Hagar. And he listened to it. The Bible literally says, and he listened to his wife. Dumb, right? So the principle is, don't listen to your wife. Just joking, okay? No, watch. Couple chapters later, his wife said, kick Hagar out. It's kind of a tough verse, but, you know, for the sake of the principle here. He said, kick Hagar out. Abraham's like, I ain't listening to my wife. God said to Abraham, listen to your wife. So the principle is, Listen to your wife. Do you listen to your wife every time? No. You listen to your wife when she's being led by the Spirit. And wives, when do you listen to your husbands? When they're being led by the Spirit. Now, it's a tough one if your husbands are not Christ followers, but we'll talk about it another day. You respect them and honor them anyways. Okay, so um, here's how it's supposed to work. When we walk in unity and we walk in the Spirit, Sometimes she'll get what God's saying. Sometimes I'll get what God's saying. But we need to pray together. We need to talk about it. And we need to come to a place where in our spirit we know this is from the Lord. This is a lot of times how Michelle and I make financial or or other decisions with our kids. We stop and we ask the Lord, whether together sometimes or privately. Sometimes it's just like, all right, you go pray about it. I'm going to go pray about it. And we'll come back and talk about it. And we wait on the Lord. And it's not easy. And you don't always know for sure. Sometimes you just got to step out and say, well, we sense this from the Lord, and you take a risk. And as you go, the Lord will bring confirmation, as we've seen in the book of Acts. You step out by the leading of the Spirit, and then as you go, the Lord will confirm. What I'm saying is, you can be led by the Spirit, but we've got to walk in community. Amen? All right, let's stand up and respond to the Lord.